Welcome to Miami Creators. I am your host, Corrado, and I'm a photographer here in beautiful Miami, Florida. And each week, I bring you the inspiring stories behind Miami's most influential businesses, individuals, entrepreneurs, and more. On this episode, we are joined by Alex Vidal, president of Related ISG and host of The Closer Club. Alex has been in the real estate industry for over 20 years. And after taking the helm at Related ISG in 2014, he has spearheaded the explosive growth from just two offices and about 50 realtors to now six offices and about 500 realtors with over $3 billion in sales. Today, you'll hear Alex and I talk about his philosophy to business and leadership, discuss how he approaches team building, the lessons learned from his show, The Closer Club, and even talk about one of his worst triathlon races and the lessons he learned from it for life and business. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy this fun, energetic, and inspiring conversation with Alex Vidal. Alex, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. You're a lot of fun. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna. This is gonna be fire, baby. Fire. <laughs> Two podcasters join together to create a podcast. No, just so, so the question becomes, who's gonna ask more questions, you or me? <laughs> oh, let's see. Let's see if you can turn the tables on me. So, before we start, sure. for those listeners who may not be familiar with who you are that are just tuning in, why don't you give them a little bit of a quick intro? Cool. So, my name is Alex Vidal, uh, president of a real estate company called Related ISG International Realty here in Dayton, Broward County, co-owned by uh, the Related Group, the largest high-rise developer in the country, and a company called ISG that does uh, development sales only. Uh, they got together to create our brokerage, uh, which now we have five offices going on six and about 500 realtors. Took it over five and a half years ago. We had two offices and 40 agents at the time. So we've had a lot of growth in relatively short amount of time. Um, but my background is I've been in real estate 22 years, so I'm 41. A little down the hall, my 22-year-old son is working Okay, and uh, had him at 19, needed a real job. And essentially, I had two jobs to choose from. One was a job I can get on my own, uh, working at the Kai's Company Realtors as the assistant to the owner of Kai's, a guy named Mike Pappas, who I'm still friends with today. Or I could go sell advertising at the Miami Herald, which was my mom, a job my mom got me. She had been at the, she's been at the Herald. She just retired. She'd been at the Herald for like 50 years. The only reason I took the job at Kai's was because it was a job I got on my own versus a job that somebody, not that my mom would ever hold it over my head, but I, I'm, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm typical yeah. Miami Cuban machismo. Like I wanted to earn it on my own <laughs> and I did. And, uh, and then fast forward, it kind of just sprung. I I've done, man, I, I was the secretary, literally the secretary, uh, to recruiting director fast. That was a quick start, but recruiting director I've done sales manager. I've been a sales coach done sales. Um, and I've been president of our company now for five and a half years. Wow. So that's quite the... Yeah, cross-country twice, by the way. Wow. So I was here in Florida. I went to California, and I also did it in Colorado as well. All with so. Kai's, or was it... No, no. What happened was I was working with Kai's. I'd been there about a year and a half. I was promoted to their recruiting director within eight months. And essentially what happened was, and this is a cool lesson that I try to teach a lot of people, instead of asking people for opportunities find the hole in the donut. And for Kai's, I'd always hear the owner complain that they were hiring 70 or 80 agents a month, but that they were losing 70 or 80 agents a month. And so at the time, actually, you still, you still can do it. You can buy a list of everybody getting their real estate license, name, phone number, addresses. And I said, let me just start calling them. No idea what I was doing. He said, sure, go for it. Within eight months, I got promoted to their recruiting director. Um, and so what I did was I found the hole in the donut and that kind of you know launched my career. 
And what happened was he sent me to a recruiting conference specifically for real estate recruiters in Indianapolis. And I met a guy named Rich Cosner, who I'm also very near and dear with, who recruited me out to California. And then uh, that guy introduced me to somebody who, because I ended up moving back because I got separated from my 22-year-old's mother and um, met a guy down here, worked with him for many years. Then he went to Colorado and brought me with him to Colorado. And then when his non-compete was up in Florida, Move brought me back. back, moved me back. So, and I'm friends with all these guys to this day. So what, all right. So before we get deep into all the other stuff that you do, because sure. we're going to talk about the closer club and everything. So you first, you say, I want to get this job that I can get on my own. I don't yep. want, it's not that your mom was going to hold it over you or anything, but what's, what's going through your mind there? What, where do you think that comes from this Probably my dad, you know, my dad, my dad had a very independent streak in that, in that regard, even though he was always involved with local government and all that, he always, you know, it was his way, which was the right way. There was no influence you could put over him. If, if it cost him his job, which eventually it did, cause he wasn't a, a puppet to the politicians and I'll leave all that out. You know, he just, he, that was just what it was. So for me, I, I don't know, man, I, I just, I never thought I'd, I didn't want to sell advertising, right. you know, and I really liked Mike Pappas, Mike, who's the owner of Kai still is. And that guy's energy and soul has just not changed in the 20 plus years that I've known him. And I have lunch with him still, you know, every couple months. Actually, his daughter's engaged or is married to the vice president of my company. Oh, wow. To give okay. you so we're still close, even in that regard. And so you start working there. You start putting together recruiting yep. for them. What is it that you're looking for? When, when you're talking to these people, you've never done this before. So what's, Man, we're, we're going, what are you looking for? As long as I said, yes, you know, it's like, <laughs> Hey, you just got your license. We're the top company. You know, when it comes to getting your license, why don't we, I, I couldn't even tell you it was so long ago. Um, but at the time it was just, you're calling brand new agents. So it was just a numbers game. How many people can we get right. in the door? And based on the number of people you interview, you hope to hire so many. And out of those that you hire, you hope that a certain amount produce. And that was it really. Wow. So you mentioned that when you took over, you had about like 50 something. Uh, yeah. 40 agents, something. Yeah. And then now you're over 500. Correct. Uh, we're just at about 500. We actually got oh. much bigger, but we've, we fired a bunch of agents too. Okay. Just non-producers, what we call affectionately. Trimming called, fat. Yeah. The dead weight. <laughs> um, and a lot of people, you know, what a lot of people don't understand is that realtors are independent contractors. Mm. And so there's no hard cost to meaning if I have 500 realtors or if I have a hundred realtors, I'm not paying them a salary. What people don't understand is the weight that they actually carry, which is the intangible, which is if they're not producing, more than likely they have a negative attitude. If they have a negative attitude, trust me, misery loves company. They're sharing that with everybody and their mother, particularly in the office, which means then they're going to the secretary and putting that negative energy on them. Um, they're going to their office manager, putting it on them. They're blaming everybody but themselves on their lack of production. And so maybe there's not a direct cost to having them in the company, but there's definitely an intangible cost mm -hmm. so much that... and you know, we're audio only, so they won't see this, but this is our, our award for last year. And on the award, you'll see like an alligator tail with a cup of coffee and a skateboard. I'm sorry. And, uh, and roller skates. And essentially the alligator skin is exactly for that. So the things just bounce off of you. The coffee is because we don't sleep the roller skates because we move fast. <laughs> um, but I it's like exactly it. that you got to let those negative vibes bounce off of you. And as you saw with one of our staff here, when she walked in before we got started, you, there are times that you're going to find yourself. It's, it's inevitable. There are times you will find yourself in a negative spot. The question becomes, what do you do with that? Do you allow it to consume you? Because one negative thought will lead to another, lead to another. Or do you put the brakes on it and then learn the different techniques to put the brakes on it and pop yourself out of it? So you're talking about team building at the highest level, right? Because you're just making sure that the team, not just 
is able to perform on the on the black and white, the paper, the, yeah. the money, but the attitude as well. You, you're walking into my, and again, the, the listeners won't see my office, so they, they kind of don't understand, you know, what the setting that we're in, right? But the setting that we're in has three purposes. One is the environment. I used to not want to come to my office because one, I liked being on the road. It was great to say I was on the road for three hours a day. The reality was I was wasting a lot of time in my car. And so I had to come to a better relationship with time. And so once I realized that I was wasting time by being in my car, I had to see, well, how can I make better use of my time? And that meant spending more time in my actual office. But I didn't want to come to my office because it was dark. My chair was uh, facing a wall instead of the window. I had this big, bulky furniture. So I got rid of all my furniture, You know, brought in new furniture, painted it, decorated it, hung my racing medals and hung some motivational stuff, hung our awards because I wanted my environment to be an environment that I wanted to be in. That inspires you. Yeah, well, there's a lot. Like the awards behind us, you know, those awards are important to me because when I started with the company in July of 2014, they told us, listen, we're probably going to close the company at the end of the year. They literally said, let's see what you got, kid. And so I had that inner belief. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter what anybody else thought. I knew that we could be successful. So when I walk in and I see my, my, you know, five years of awards on the walls that, you know, were about $3 billion in sales, you know, for me, that represents, Hey, I had that inner motivation to want to succeed. And no matter, nothing else matters. doesn't matter what you know, doesn't matter your environment, doesn't matter how you're going to get there. If you don't want to get out of bed in the morning, nothing else matters. So that reminds me of that. The third piece of my office are the medals that are behind you, the racing medals. And I know you had Frankie Ruiz on five of those belong to Frankie. Three escaped to Miami's and, and two half marathons. But there's about 18 medals on that wall right now. There's 47 hours of on-the-clock time, meaning, you know, we go. Uh, about 47 hours. But that wall reminds me that there's literally thousands Before of hours race. training for those 47 hours on the clock. Yeah. So those are really, and I don't even know how we got into this. I can kind of go off on rant sometimes, so I apologize. Not but good. there's there's three things you need to be successful, in my opinion. And, and this boils down to the team and what we're trying to do with our team. You need the right environment. You need the inner motivation. And you need the how. And so for us, the most important thing we focus on is helping our, our team, both staff and agents, find their inner motivation. Because at the end of the day, again, you can know how to do something, but if you don't want to get out of bed, it doesn't matter. Then we teach them the how. And that's what the race medals represent. Um, and then you got to have the right environment. If you can have those, those three, so anybody out there listening, you're looking for the job, what's your inner motivation? How are you going to get there? And what is the, right, is the environment right? And you have that trifecta. Have you ever read Jim Collins' Good to Great? No. Where he, he talks about the, the steps to building like a successful organization. He, he equates it to first, getting the right people on the bus. Uh, Second, yes. getting the wrong people off the bus. Correct. And third, figuring out the right seats for the right people. Okay. So that's a great point. And I haven't read it, but I've been told about that book. I have a mentor. He's probably actually told me to read this book. He's 82 years old. A guy named Emmett Logan. Emmett uh, was in a gang in New Jersey in his teens. So this is like, you know, 60 something years ago. And he ended up going into the army because he was going to get killed in the gang. Went to one day of college, dropped out, enrolled as a paratrooper. He was afraid. This is how crazy the guy is. He enrolled, He was afraid of heights, so he enrolled as a paratrooper, okay, to get over his his fear of heights. So what ended up happening was when he came back from the from the war and all that, he was literally an alcoholic and homeless living in a shelter. And he started loading, washing dishes and loading boxes for UPS at night. And he ended up becoming one of the most high-profile leaders of UPS in its day. And he's my mentor. And he's, that's what he talks about all the time. 
getting the right people on the bus, getting the wrong people off the bus. That's straight off find, of Jim Collins. Yeah, oh, yeah. Great. oh, you got to read that book. If I'm, you gonna have to. I'm reading, I'm reading a great book right now uh, called never split the difference by hmm. Chris Voss. Okay. Changed my life. That's it, the, that's the FBI. The FBI negotiator. Right? Yeah. Okay. I recommend it. Anybody in, actually, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm, my wife's a pediatrician. I'm telling her to read it. I'm asking her to read it. I'm not telling Life her to get is them. one negotiation. You're always negotiating something, right? I know that. <laughs> you know that, but not everybody feels yeah. that way. So my wife will be like, well, why do I, I'm not negotiating. I'm seeing patients. I go, well, think about when, you know, they don't want their, they want medication for their kid, like a, you know, an antibiotic and you don't want to give it to them. Now you got to yeah. convince this parent that the antibiotic isn't right. You know, and you're always the, selling and you're always negotiating. Always. Yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. So when you look around all the things that you've been able to do with, with your company, what do you think has allowed you to do those things? I mean, you kind of touched a little bit on your inner drive and, and, sure. and all of that. Really, I think it boils down to two things. One is raving fans. Now that's a great book, another book, raving fans. And so if you can create a raving fan out of your customer, that person will then refer you to three or four people. And if you can create raving fans out of those three or four those are going to refer you. Now, all of a sudden, that one becomes four. That four becomes eight. That eight becomes 16. That 16 becomes 32. And, and you have this thing. And that's how really how we grew the company. And what allows me to do what I'm doing now is having the, the right people on the bus and the right team in place to help me run the brokerage and lead the brokerage and lead the agents and motivate them and coach them. Um, in addition to, again, understanding that anything that's not happening in my life, for example, right now is it's not anybody's fault. It's my fault. And so I had to look at it and say, what changes do I need to make in my life? And one was the office that we're in. And one of the things I've realized that I'm trying to coach the agents and my staff too, is any changes that you make aren't permanent. It's not like I'm going to be in my office now for the rest of my career at Related ISG. It's what I need for right now. And if that right now lasts six months, nine months, a year, cool. Or one week. Or one week. <laughs> and then I'll reevaluate. I went through all this and I got a great office when I show up, but yeah. that's what I need right now. But it's crazy. I looked at my, I literally counted the number of appointments I have on my schedule this week. I have 29 appointments on my schedule this week that otherwise would not have happened if I didn't make a fundamental right. change in my calendar to, to, to make people not only make the time to be here, but then have the quote unquote balls to tell people, if you want to meet with me, you're going to have to come here. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to you anymore. And I actually learned that from the show, by the way, from my show, because if you think about it, I don't know if you've seen it, but People aren't coming to me for the interviews. I'm going to them. Mm -hmm. And I've gone, you know, LA, I think I told you, I don't know if we did this on or off, but I've gone to uh, LA six times, New York five times, you know, Vegas, Aspen, Dallas, uh, rally. These people aren't coming to me. I'm going to them. Yeah. And so, to. you know what? I'm going to them because it's important to me. If somebody feels it's important to meet with me, then they should come to me. But it took a lot for me yeah. to be able to say that to people. Like, hey, you want coaching with me? Cool. I'm not going to charge right. you, but two things. You got to come to me and you got to do what I ask you to do. And right. if not, then we're done. You know? So what are some of the biggest differences that looking back, you're 19, you start working all this. When you look at Alex back then and Alex today, what are some of the biggest differences that you can kind of tell about yourself? Because you're talking about it, right? That's one good example. That, I I having wish that security to, to say, hey, look, if we need to make this happen, you need to come to yeah. me. Anything I, else that comes to mind? Not really, man. I, I wish I could, you know, it's funny. I wish I could remember. I have four boys. You know, I have my 22-year-old, my but then I also have a... Um, I also have a 13 year old just turned 13 on Valentine's day and I have 10 year old twins and I look back and, and a lot of it seems to be a blur. I was a risk taker then I'm a risk taker now. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just, I, I could, I can't pinpoint the biggest difference is that I've, I've made a con and I, I wouldn't even say when I was 19, I'd say since I really started the show. Okay. All right. Which was, it'll be two years in June. 
ever since I, I started the show, that's where just I realized you don't know it all. Check your you at the door. Listen. Be careful who you take your advice from, right? And then like the pieces that you like, start implementing them into your business. So I would actually tell you I've changed more in the last two years than I have in the last, you know, 20 years when it comes to business. Wow. Yeah. All right. So let's let's jump into the closer club. Dale. You've interviewed some pretty impressive people, man. Jordan Belfort, like the man. Yeah, like, Jordan Belfort, uh, Grant Cardone. Yeah, Ryan Sherhan, like yeah. all of this stuff. So tell us, what was the reason for starting the show? I know that initially you called it something else because I was looking through yeah. some of those interviews. You called it something else. So talk about the beginning. Yeah. What was the inspiration? Everything. So I, I initially called the show Inquiring Minds Want to Know. Okay. And it was because I was talking, if I remember correctly, I was talking to an agent and I'm like, come on, what's your commission split? What's your deal? No, I'm not going to tell you. I'm like, come on, inquiring minds want to know. And I'm like, that sounds great. <laughs> you know, the problem was I couldn't trademark it. And so it wasn't even no, it was no longer owned by the national Enquirer. Like the, uh, something happened that we could, but nobody could trademark it essentially. And so what happened was I had actually bought the domain, the closerclub.com years ago. And I bought it because what I wanted to do was create the closer club it, within my brokerage of like, let's say our top 10 agents and make it like an exclusive club within the brokerage. Okay. Now, the reason I started the show was I said, all right, there's 50 something thousand realtors in Dayton, Broward County. Now for realtors, their customer are buyers and sellers. For me as a leader of a company, my customers are the brokers. And so I said, all right, how do I get in front of 50 something thousand people? Well, you have to go to the sandbox that they play in. Okay. Well, the sandbox that they play in is social media. Cool. What's the toy they play with the most in social media? It's video. And so I said, if everything was the same, brand name, commission splits, manager support, et cetera, how can I show people my, my knowledge in the business, my energy, my passion, my drive, my vibe, and also that I'm connected to some of the bigger real estate players here in South Florida. And that's why I launched the show. Now, I launched it not knowing what the hell I was doing. <clears throat> I still am learning 92 episodes in. We'll be filming 93 after this. I still film with my iPhone on a tripod and lapel mics. No excuses. Um, and I did that for a few months. And then there was an event in October, every October here in South Florida called the Real Deal Real Estate Forum. And they have about 5,000 speakers. Or I'm sorry, 5,000 attendees. And I reached out to the PR agency for them. And I said, listen, you guys always have the same people on these panels. It's boring. Come on, they get, get, do it. Get me on stage. I'll crush it. You know, like I have that, I have that, I call it ego, call it whatever you want. I had that kind of belief in myself that if I can get in front of a crowd, I'll crush it. And they literally said to me, Alex, we know you, we know related ISG, but the real deal doesn't know you and they don't know your brokerage. And I said, cool. And I hung up the phone. The very first phone call I made was to Ryan Searhead. And then from there, it, it turned into, you know, the depending on what circuit you're following, there's like the whole celebrity entrepreneurs of right. you know, Brad Lee, Patrick McDavid, you know, Tom Bilyeu, Tim Story, those kind of people. Then I've had real estate people like Tom Ferry. Um, and now it's turned into the Grant Cardones, the Bedros Koulian, who's probably my favorite one of all of them, Bobby Castro, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, and you know, some other you know, really big names. So what's some of the biggest surprises or lessons that you were not expecting coming into it? <laughs> They are no different than you and me. I mean, that's that's got to be the biggest. You really found that? Like, you were not expecting that? No, not. Yes. And I'll tell you why. I wasn't expecting it because I wanted to make the excuse to myself that mm. they were there 
because they had something I didn't have. And that's why they were there and I wasn't. And I went through, call it like an ugly phase, right? Where like when you cut your hair short and you're growing it out, it kind of goes through that ugly phase where I, like, I was having a real inner turmoil. I was a good part of last year. And I'm like, how the hell is this guy worth a hundred million dollars? He's a schmuck. You know, he's a schmuck. That's probably not the right word. And you can leave that on. I'm not going to edit this shit out. I don't care. <laughs> but you're just like, dude, come on. Seriously. Yeah. Like, how is that possible? You know? And, and then, and then you start looking at yourself and you're saying, Konya, what the hell's wrong with me? How's that guy? And I'm over here. I'm not even close. I'm like a penny right. compared to this guy, you know? And then the, it, it, you know, there's a saying that the student appears, that the teacher appears when the student is ready. And this interview I did with Bedros Koulian, he's the founder, the CEO and founder of a company called Fitbody Bootcamp. Guy's net worth, I think is like $200 million, you know? And he was, his story's amazing. Flew out to California. I interviewed him and, um, I don't know what it was. I interviewed him in December. I edited it in January. Something he said that I can look at what my goals were for the year and realize that every excuse I was giving myself for not hitting my goal had nothing to do with the excuses I was saying. It was 100% my fault. 100%. Like the simplest one, buying investment properties. And in 2013, which was the tail end of the recession for us, where we had lost it all and I was going through all this crap in my life and, and all that, you know, I was able to bounce back and, and get our life back and get the ship righted. I didn't buy investment properties because I couldn't find the right property or that the cap rates weren't great or because, the, you know, they're over. No, it had nothing to do with that. Those were the excuses I gave myself. The reality was I didn't want to take the money out of my bank account. Hmm. And then you start meeting with these guys and they're like, dude, spend your money. You're at a point in your life, you're going to make it back. You know, sit, leaving it in the bank literally is going to cost you. I leave, and he's right. I'm spending it on vacations and shit and not buying right. anything I want, you yeah. know? Am I allowed to curse on this, by the yes, way? Yes, of course. So, you know, so it was one of those things that those were like some of the biggest, that that one thing, when I realized it's all your fault. It literally, I can, and I can look at each of my goals and say the goals I didn't hit, 100% my fault. Now I can give you 20 reasons why. That sound good. That sound amazing, right. that have nothing to do with me and it's all bullshit. I've always equated it, like you look at an Elon Musk, right? And mm -hmm. then, man, holy crap, you watch interviews or anything and you go, this this is a once in a lifetime type of person. But then there's these other guys that you go, that's, a somehow they seem a little bit more human. Right? Correct, correct. <laughs> and, you know, and, and there are those guys, right? Yeah. There, there are those Elon Musk in the world that are going to be the one and onlys. And that's cool. But there's 7 billion people yeah. on the planet, man. There's going to be guys out there that do extremely well that are no different. Yeah. They just, they eliminated all the excuses. And as soon as they did that, that's when things started clicking for them. So what has that caused in your life? Eliminating all the excuses or realizing that it's all your fault? Uh, Give me an example of like- I'm under contract for my first duplex. Okay. Simple as that. That's one. Okay. You know, um, becoming owner- part owner, partner in our brokerage. That's another one. And, and knowing the value that I had and the value that I brought to the company and, and my role in the brokerage and how important that is. And knowing that I wanted to own a company and, and having the, the ability to then finally sit down with them and say, guys, it's time. And saying, here's why. And asking for right. it and sticking to my guns. I mean, there's- You, you don't think it. you would have done that before? I wouldn't have pushed it as hard as I pushed now. Because right. there always had been talk about it, right? And I knew, and I trust these guys with my life, so I knew it would happen, but- it's like anything else. If you let it, if you let it slide, it'll slide for years. And it was like, no, that's it. Squeaky wheel Sit, gets oil first. Right. <laughs> Sat down. Here's what we're doing. Here's what I'm going to, yeah. this is my business plan for 2020. Here's what I want. Here's how we're going to do it. Boom. Let's go. Let's rock. All I had to do was ask. So looking back, how has your life turned out differently than, than you expected it to? 
Good question. Um, I would tell you, maybe I would have gone to college. You know, I wasn't expecting to have a kid at 19, you know, mm-hmm. but I was young, dumb, dating a girl from Venezuela, Miss Venezuela pageant girl, <laughs> and I got her pregnant. What are you going to do? You know? Right. Um, other than that, there, there were- Did you no, have any, like, was there anything in particular before that, that you were, you no. thought you were going to go in X, Y, or Z direction? No, my parents wanted, wanted me to become an attorney. So I went to college for, I think, a semester and a half. Okay. So that, that's my, the, I probably did like 12 and a half credits, you know? <laughs> um, they wanted me to become an attorney. Looking back, I probably would have been a really good attorney, but I don't know. I also don't know many happy attorneys. Yeah. So I couldn't tell you that's what I wanted to do. Um, I had no real, I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. I really didn't. Mm-hmm. Real estate kind of just, it found me. And that internship is what, not that internship, that first job at, at Kai's is what kind of like got you on the right track. Yeah. You know, I, 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 again, I just started as, off as secretary. I was making $21,000 a year and then they promoted me to their recruiting director and he offered me $26,000 a year. I was like, wow, you know, cool. And then I went out to Indianapolis for this conference where I met Rich Cosner and Rich was like, Hey, come out to California. I'll pay you $52,000 a year. So you think it was just being around these guys that had fundamentally different mentality or way of looking at life that kind of started I think it just, the path just kind of opened itself. The path just opened itself up. It definitely didn't hurt being surrounded by those guys. There, there is that, that's a very true statement, by the way. Your network is your net worth a hundred million percent. Like I've interviewed over $10 billion worth of net worth in the closer club. I added it mm. up the other day. Wow. I have the cell phone for most of these guys. Right. And so you're, you're, you know, I would tell you that by being surrounded by them, it's, it's influenced my life as we've already touched upon. And being around those guys, absolutely. It just kind of paved, it just kind of, I don't know, man, it just just forged its way. It, it right. created itself as it, as it went. I didn't know any better. I just went with it. You know? Would you say that doing the show has been almost like a condensed version of that? Of college? Uh, no, 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 no. Of like your, your career, like rubbing elbows with those people, getting to meet them. Nah, uh, I would tell you the show has been more of like real life college education. So I, I didn't okay. go to college working. You, when you run a company that's owned by the related group, you get a hardcore real financial education when it comes to pro formas and P and L's and knowing your numbers. Cause you're going to get drilled on every single number. Why are you over budget here? Why are we here? Why didn't this hit? You know, you know, you got to know all your metrics and you know, that TV that's behind me typically has, if you look in the top corner, again, this is audio only, but says KPI tracking. And that's something I learned from all these guys too, running, you know, all the shows, like they know their numbers right. and, and whenever they're home or in their office, they have their numbers pulled up. And so I have all our company metrics there right now. So I'm always looking at it. You know, you've kind of touched a little bit on, on some of these failures and some of these challenges that you've hit in life. And that's something that I always like to find, find out what are some of your favorite failures? And, and by that, I mean, things that in the moment felt like this just went bad. This is not the way that it should have gone. But <clears> later <throat> on, you realize, man, thank God that worked out that way because it set me up on this path that yeah. I would have never even thought about before. Good question. Um, it's interesting because I remember, I remember when the market crashed in 2007, eight. And we were debating moving to Colorado or staying here. I was selling real estate at the time. The guy I worked for moved to Colorado, had created his own company. Um, he moved out in 2004. That's when I went into sales. And then when the market crashed is when I moved out to Colorado. 
we were debating between staying or going to Colorado. And when I, I interviewed for a job here with Paychex, the payroll company, right? Because right? I mean, real estate was dead. I didn't know what to do. And I remember they asked me that question. And I literally looked at them in the eye and I said, I've never failed. And so, and what I meant was not that I haven't had failures, but to me, failures aren't failures. They're just opportunities to improve and learn. Now, have I had opportunities to improve and learn? Yeah. You know, I bought a house in 2005, you know, with a negative amortization mortgage, highly leveraged, and I lost my ass on it and, you know, lost everything as a result and short sold it and all that. Um, and so I would tell you that it taught me to be scared of money, which then also held me back for many years until now that I finally let loose again and, mm. and, and did it. So, you know, I don't know, man, it's hard to say that there's a, you know, a failure I can look at and say, well, I failed at this. It's not that I failed. I just, I, you know, I don't know. I just, you just I, always focused on the lesson from it. I never stopped. So right. I can look back. Listen, there was a time at the end of 2012, I was working for a broker running his company and I got burnout and I went into marketing. My buddy did like um, digital marketing and I went with him into digital marketing and, and marketing at the end of 2012. And then into 2013, my wife and I get separated in May. And then in July, my best friend and I had a falling out. Okay. I lose my job. My overhead's like 10, 12 grand a month. I had $5,000 in the bank. Okay. And from July 17, 2013 to December 31st, 2013, I went out and sold over $7 million worth of real estate, made over 200 grand in those six months time. All right. And turned my life around and never looked back. Now I made the money. So then I got scared and then I held on to it. And then you learned that lesson. But I wouldn't even say that was a failure. Like I just, I, as crazy as it sounds, I never took the time to sit back and look at it. I just kept going. And a buddy of mine, I was talking to him the other day, he just moved to Nashville. He's like, you know, one of the things I admired about you was you just, you just kept going. You never stopped. Where do you think that comes from? Inner motivation as the police drive by. Um, <laughs> you know, when you, that's the thing, it's the inner motivation. It's, it's for me, I, there's a family I have to support. There's no time for me to sit in bed and cry and be sad. You know, like you're always pushing the envelope. And that's kind of like that struggle that I even had last year, which was I'm seeing these guys at a certain level and I'm not there yet. I know I have the same skill set or better, but yet I couldn't figure it out. And for I was my head was spinning until Pedro's, you know, laid it out to me and just literally looked me in the eye and said, dude, it's all your fault. And from that moment on, things changed. Mm. You know? So it's and it's interesting. It's an interesting process because as you change and you start pushing the envelope on a lot of things, then you start to realize, all right, so, you know, we talked about my journal off camera about how that is a daily thing I do to stay in that positive mindset. Well, then you start realizing everybody around you who's in a negative mindset and how misery loves company. And then you start shedding, like I've lost friends yeah. as a result, because I just didn't want that vibe or that energy around me. Um, or you, there was a guy named Bradley who I had on the show who taught me, he goes, is, you know, the problem is when you make these changes, everybody wants to give you advice. And the advice they give you is not to help you. It's because it's based on how your role, listen to this, how your role is going to change in their life. And as a result, wow. the advice you're going to get is based on that. And that to me was a big one because then you start seeing that too. You know, you start seeing it's like, oh, I can't do this now because I have this event or, you know, whatever it is. When you're coming up on these situations like this, um, whether it's failures or challenges, any quotes that you think of often that 
that you try to live by or that you keep reminding yourself? Well, the, the one quote I always live by is the answer is always no, unless you ask. No doubt. Like people ask me all the time, how did you get Grant Cardone? How did you get the Wolf of Wall Street? How'd you get Ryan's here? How'd you get these guys on your show? I'm like, I just asked. And if I were to show you my Instagram DMs, sometimes I ask no lie a hundred times yeah. before you finally get somebody to say yes, right? Uh, so that's one. And you may get a 99 no's for that one, yes. I did. I, I have a podcast. <laughs> I have one one interview I haven't aired yet, which was a guy named Steve Howie. Have you ever watched that show Shameless on uh, Showtime? No. So whatever, it's, it's, it's a show on Showtime and they also have it on Netflix. And my favorite actor on the show is a guy named Kevin, um, Steve Howie. It's Kevin, his role is Kevin on the show. I probably DM'd him no lie a hundred times where he finally, this was his reply. Dear God, man, why do you think so highly of me that you want an interview? <laughs> Perbatim, not even, hey, that, dear God, man, why do you think so highly of me that you want an interview? And, I, re that. and I replied back, I go, laugh out loud. I guess that means you're in. And he goes, I'm in. Here's my cell phone. That's awesome. Right? And I got his cell phone. Now, he gave me his cell phone. Why? He went on my social media. He saw that you know, I'm a family guy, that I run a big company. I'm not some you know, fly-by-night you know, stranger, stalker, you know, kind of guy. Um, and I got a cell phone. I talked to him occasionally, not all the time. So I'm not going to bother him and I'm going to air the interview in, in a couple of weeks, you know? And, and so that's one, um, the biggest risk you can take is never taking one. That was when I heard, I wish I'd lived by that one more often. I didn't for a long time. Cause I was scared quite frankly. Um, and this one, I definitely do live by. It's better to ask for forgiveness and for permission. Those three, those are my big three. I should, you know what? I should put those on my wall. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Those those are what? The Iconics? That yeah, I'm actually going to get the owner of Iconic yeah. on the show in a couple of weeks. I'm going nice. to LA. I'm going to interview him. This other guy named Wes Watson who makes about 200 grand a month and he's a convicted felon who turned online uh, fitness coach. making wow. And he's changed his life, you know? Um, yeah, so the, the, the four pictures that we're talking about that are on my wall from Iconic are, the first one says, you can't deposit excuses. That's a great one because uh, that was given to me as a gift by a friend. And what's cool about it is like when you're sitting with somebody coaching, right? And you ask them, well, why haven't you called, let's say your sphere of influence, the people that you know? Well, they're, you know, I don't know. They're going to tell me, no, I'm afraid to get rejected or whatever. I'm like, do me a favor. When you get your next FPL bill right on there, I can't call my sphere of influence <laughs> uh, because I'm scared that I'm going to get rejected. So uh, guess what? You know, I can't pay the bill and see how that works out for you. Right? So you can't deposit that. The, the, the one life ticket limit one per person actually goes right along with my car tag. So on my Raptor, I have a tag that says LTFS and LTFS is life's too fucking short. And so that's actually the tag on, on my truck. Uh, then the one big thing that you notice with these guys, everybody I've had on the show, the harder you work, the luckier you get. And then the last one is grit and the grits like, that's a, that's a big one, man. Cause you're going to, you're going to get your butt kicked along the way. Yeah. No doubt by everybody. Yeah. By everybody. Which is an interesting one too, right? Because there's a great story that talks about golf balls, pebbles and sand, um, and water or beer. And I think I've heard this. Yeah, it's a college professor. He takes out a jar, fills it with golf balls. He asks the classes, the jar full. They say yes. So then he takes pebbles, fills it, right? And then uh, the pebbles fill in all the space between the, the golf balls. He then asks, is it full? They say yes. He then takes the sand, fills it with sand, Ask him again, is it yet filled? He said, they say yes. And then he takes out the beer, pours two beers into the jar. And now they ask him if it's full and they all start laughing. And essentially it's an analogy for life. You know, the golf balls are the big things in your life, right? You know, your family, your job, et cetera. The pebbles in the sand is all the BS. And so what happens is if you fill the jar first with the pebbles in the sand, then what ends up happening is you don't have any time for the golf balls in your life. It's an amazing analogy. 
Because you will realize, I've realized this because I'm trying to figure this out, spend more time on this. When people have negative energy and they're trying to, because misery, again, I've said this before, misery mm. loves company and they try to put it on you. You start to look at what they're miserable about and what they're really miserable about is the pebbles in the sand, not mm. the golf balls. And, and so when you, when you break it down to that level, then you really can focus on getting them on the golf balls and getting that right. And then all of a sudden their, their energy changes. So with everything that you have going on, how do you make sure that you're putting in the golf balls first? So my golf balls are obviously my job, my kids, my wife, and my sports. It's, it's I don't know, man. I just do it. It's, they're all important to me. And when things are important to you, you just figure out the time. Now, do I do certain things? Like I figured out my relationship with time so I can spend more time in my office. The more time I spend in my office, the more time I can spend with my agents. They come to me. So that really has allowed me to take better care of, of the company I'm doing. I used to be adverse to like Zoom meetings. And I'm doing them now for staff meetings, which allows me to get in touch with my staff because we have offices throughout Dayton Broward County. Working out's big for me. So I, um, we, my wife and I put an entire CrossFit gym in our garage. So it makes it very convenient. Right. And I'm dedicated. I'm committed. I'm not just interested. So that allows me to do that. For the triathlon stuff, the days, you know, if I'm either working out CrossFit or I'm running. I'll pick a day early in the morning to bike and I swim at night when my kids are up. Like I'll drop them off at practice. I'll go swim. What's the biggest distance that you've done? Half Ironman. Half Ironman? Yeah, I've done two. Okay. And uh, the first one was terrible, but I finished. Puked eight times on the run. Uh, actually, I love that one. That, that's probably my favorite race. In terms of like, you want to talk about failure? That was a failure. I, 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 let me come back to that in a second. But, you know, it's a, just to wrap this question up. It's funny. You see these parents say they don't have time for shit, right? So they go, my kids' practices are an hour and a half. They go, they bring their kid, and they just sit there. And they're on their phones, talking to each other, whatever. I don't have time for exercise. You're in a park. Come in your gym clothes. Bring your gym clothes. <laughs> you have an hour and a half while your kid's practicing right. to walk around, right? Just yeah. choose what you're putting in your mouth. That right. alone is 70% of it. For me, I just, I go and I swim. And then I come back and I pick them up. And then my games are my games. Like there's, there's, there are certain non-negotiables that I have. My kids' games are non-negotiable. And there's they're just not. Then my wife and I make a big priority for ourselves and for our friends and to go out. Like we just did date night Saturday. We do date nights all the time. I take, I set my schedule up so that thurs, uh, Thursday mornings, cause she's off every Thursday. I don't come into the office until 11 cause she's off. My kids are in school. So we get some alone time and you just, you make it work. I don't wake up super early. I wake up at seven. Right. Yeah. I go to bed at 10 30, 11. <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not one of those guys that wake up at five. So know? let's, I, I want to go back to this, uh, your favorite race. Yeah where you bombed. Totally Let's talk bombed. about it. <laughs> totally bombed. So what happened there, so it's a half Ironman. So for people who don't know, it's a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike, and then the half marathon, 13.1 miles at the end. And it was a lake swim. It's in November. It was wetsuit legal. And so wetsuit legal means that the water's cold enough to be able to wear a wetsuit. And I didn't practice with the wetsuit prior. Ooh. So anybody who's a Miami person knows if you put a wetsuit on, you go, I learned the hard way. Different. Yeah. Different <laughs> animal. Compressed on my lungs. Couldn't breathe. I swallowed a ton of water, wow. ton, ton of water. And the reality though, is I was looking for the easy way out because when you swim with a wetsuit, you're faster in the water, you're buoyant. So you didn't have to worry about floating. You just got to worry about moving your hands and you'll go. And I ended up, it was a full length wetsuit down to my wrist, down to my ankles. And somehow in the water, I took it off down to my waist and I got to a lifeguard, grabbed the surfboard. I'm like, dude, help me rip it off. And he ripped it off, got it off, finished it. I tried to get on the bike. I had swallowed so much water. 
that by the time I got on the bike, anytime I tried to eat something, I, I couldn't hold it down. So then I got to the, somehow made it through the bike, got to the half marathon. And then I ended up puking eight times on the half marathon, but I finished. And it was, so I look back and I was like, doesn't matter what you go through. You know, it's funny. Now I'm going to circle back to a question you asked me about before too. That's uh, why get, I wanted to come back to that question. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I, I, I tried to find the easy way out. I got burned, but I still get, got it through and I finished because I would have never been able to live with myself. Had I, had I quit that race, yeah. there's just no effing way I was going to quit. It's funny, but you know, just, yeah. I, I don't get asked these questions a lot. So I'm kind of, yeah. they're kind of coming back as we, as no, we talk. no, 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 it makes sense. And I have a couple of friends who've done multiple triathlons, Ironmans, everything. Yeah. And it's not so much, like you said, it's not the hours on the race. It's the hours and endless number of hours prepping for the race. By the time you show up to the race, you're, you're ready. Like yeah. you can do it. But Correct. it's all the months and months training, Mo especially up for to the, it. especially for the half Ironman. And yeah. my twins at the time, my twins were babies, man. So wow. it was essentially I would wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'd be out the door at four thirty. I'd be going on two hour runs, two hour bikes. Didn't matter what it was. Going to the gym, swimming for two, you know, an hour, whatever it was. I had to be home by six thirty. Had to rinse, you know, put on a pair of shorts and sit, and then I was feeding one of the twins. You know, because it was they were they were babies, or you know, yeah. At that point, by the time I was already training for that, they were like four or five months old. You know, so they were sleeping through the night, which is a godsend. By four months, they were sleeping through the yeah. night, but still, they'd wake up at you know six o'clock in the morning, six thirty, six forty-five in the morning for their first feeding. You know, yeah. so wow. All right, so switching into Miami rapid fire. Dale. Just gonna throw a couple of questions out. Miami right. living. Tell me okay. the first thing that comes to mind. Beach. <laughs> <laughs> favorite thing about living in miami weather the weather yeah even man. even Water. though it's five minutes from now it may be a hurricane so, so I've, i you know my perspective is a little different i was like you oh you came here when you were 10 um but i was born and raised here did a year in california did a year in colorado mm. and, and yeah i used to say about colorado i wish i never left and now my wife, because and my wife and I talk about it all the time. Like I wouldn't go back. Like I just I love South Florida. Yeah. The, the water, the beach. There's there's a reason that populations are growing more by the water <laughs> than they are anywhere else yeah. in terms of land types. Um, so the beach for me is is, is okay. the weather for sure. Favorite food spot and dish anywhere they have croquetas. Got to pick one. Come on, oh, shit. lay it on the line. Favorite croquetas then. Versailles. Where Versailles? Versailles. Yeah. I haven't had croquetas in a while. I'm trying to stay. I got a nutritionist now. <laughs> Pizza's a good one too, man. All right. Pizza's my favorite. That's my that's my uh, my carb up meal before okay. a race. That's my tradition. Okay. Favorite way to spend a Miami weekend? Beach. The beach. Beach. I Family. mean, if I'm not if I'm not in soccer, okay. then water related. Meaning, we we live out in Davie. Um, got a great lot, huge pool. So it's either if I'm not if I'm not at a soccer game. I'd much rather be at the pool because I have a sick backyard or the beach with a rum in hand, rum on the right. rocks. Nice. If you're stuck in traffic, what are you listening to? Podcasts. Always. Which ones? Uh, Joe Rogan's good. Okay. I am getting a little over Joe Rogan, but Joe Rogan's good. Um, Tom Bilyeu has a good one, Impact Theory, or I'm listening to audiobooks. Uh, the two books that I think have really changed my life are the one I told you about earlier, Never Split the Difference with Chris Vaz and uh, The Secret. Okay. The secret is actually the whole reason why I have this whole manifestation book and all that stuff. Very cool. Secret's a good one. It's a little out there. It's a little quiet. Yeah. Like they have like it, the, re <laughs> the religious musical, oh, you know, and all that. But if you can get through that, if you can get yeah. through that, 
there's 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 some really good nuggets some in that. Some good book. gems in oh, there. Oh, for right. sure. And that's with every audiobook or any book or anything or every relationship even. There's sure. stuff that you got to know what you got to take, what doesn't work for you and you got to kind of put that aside, right? That's it. Anybody in Miami doing awesome stuff, companies, people that you want to give a shout out to? Related ISG baby. Okay. Like my own brokerage. All right. Yeah, you know, this is this is my forum to promote related ISG. <laughs> You so know, there's, there's, well, there's, let me let me let me give you an opportunity to brag or make your pitch here. What is the one thing or a couple of things that agents joining sure. your team can expect that that it's different from anything else that they're going to get somewhere else? So this is this is what we're going through now. Our goal, and I call it related SG 2.0. We want agents that are committed, and I'll share with you how this all came about. We want agents who are committed to real estate, not interested in doing real estate. Cause again, there are 50 something thousand realtors that are committed to real estate. Then we want agents who are committed to related ISG international realty. It is my job to make sure that we have the right people in place to make sure that we are helping you maintain your commitment to the brokerage and can maintain your commitment to the business. And we will do whatever that takes. And that's really what I think our secret sauce is. Um, you're going to be here with, with in a company where agents are as equally committed to the business as you are. They're equally as committed to the brokerage as you are. And you're going to be surrounded by the staff and in, in a company that's going to support you to help maintain that commitment to the business and to the company. So any closing thoughts that you want to leave the listeners with? Anything oh, that we didn't touch on that you want no, to talk man, about? No, man. I think the only thought is this. If there's something not happening in your life, I guarantee you it's your fault. Just if you sit down, bare knuckles, and really break it down... It is your fault, Love and it's it. all. But it's also your fault if it happens, right? right? That's the beauty of right. it. Like you can legit control extreme ownership, right? That's right. Yeah, Jocko. That's my next book. <laughs> after that, after I'm done with, it, with never split the difference. Extreme ownership's the next one. Yeah, or extreme leadership. Sorry, extreme that's leadership, yeah. But but still, love it, love it. Alex, thank you. Mike is yours. Where can people connect with you? What's sure. the best way to find out what you're up to? Instagram, uh, Vidal Al, at Vidal Alex V I D A L A L E X. Um, the show is in, you can find it on iTunes, iHeart, YouTube at, uh, the closer club.com, uh, no S the closer club.com or on Facebook, Alex Vidal, picture of me and my wife. Awesome. And, uh, that's it. Alex, thank you so much. Dude, this was awesome. Thank you. I love what you're doing. I'm glad to, and, and if there's anything you need for me to help you out, man, I'd, I'd love to help out. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, this is Corrado again. Two quick things before you take off. One, remember that you can find detailed show notes for every single episode at miamicreators.com. And two, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and share this with someone you think would find it interesting. That's it. Until next time, thank you for listening.